let's jump straight into the Bible. So if you've got your Bible with you, I'm going to take a reading from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1. One of those readings that we only often refer to at Christmas time. So if you went to bed last night in August and you think you've woken up in December, no we haven't. We're still in August but we're going to look at a story that often we reflect on at Christmas time. And I want to speak about this idea, when God's impossible, needs are possible. When God's impossible, needs are possible. And I want to take a reading from Luke chapter 1. We're going to jump in at verse 26 and read this amazing story. So here we go, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And then Mary goes and has this meeting with Elizabeth, her relative, and there's an incredible supernatural Holy Spirit moment in that meeting. And then Mary sings or proclaims this song. Verse 46, it says this, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. Amazing story. The incarnation is one of the most momentous, magnificent, and glorious events in human history. It's the moment where... God becomes human. 100% God becomes 100% human. And in his desire to reach the world and save the world, God does something that has never been done before. When we look at the incarnation, this is a unique event. It is a brand new experience. 
never happened before, and in this particular unique sense, will never, ever, ever happen again. We are witnessing something spectacular. And all of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they talk about this amazing event in one form or another. But I love how John introduces his gospel. John, in his introduction to the gospel, brings us magnificent theology, and he says, the word speaking of the Son of God, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we get this gorgeous, magnificent, big statement from John that just fills the room. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. But it's the other Gospels that sort of give us the mechanics of that amazing moment. It's one thing to declare that the Word became flesh, but how? Did the word become flesh? And when you read Matthew's gospel, you sort of get Joseph's view of the birth story of Jesus. And, and it's a bit brief, but it does its job. And then when we come to Luke, you really get Mary's view of the birth of Jesus. And it's filled with magnificent detail, detail that only a woman would remember and only a woman really would truly understand. Fantastic, fantastic story. And it's into this story we're leaning because here's what happens. In our passage, God has declared, or well, the angel Gabriel declares God to be the God for whom nothing is impossible. Wow. And we accept that idea. Nothing is impossible for God. Yet here's the paradox of the passage. Here's the tension of the, passi- the passage. The impossible God who can do anything for whom nothing is impossible needs the help of a teenage girl. That's the paradox right there. And it's dead easy to miss it because we sort of rush to the end of the story. But the Bible is full of paradox. It's full of tension. It's full of ideas that seem to be pulling against each other. And yet somehow when we hold them, they sit together. And here's a paradox. Here's a a really difficult idea to get our head around. We serve a God who can do the impossible. He can do absolutely anything within, within the framework of his character and his purpose. He can do anything. And yet here he is asking for the help of a young woman. Now, in our culture, if Mary was here today, we would look at her as a teenage girl, maybe a young teenage girl. Of course, in her culture, she is regarded as a woman. But here's the remarkable idea. The God who can do the impossible needs a teenage girl to work with him and do what is possible for her. And if she will do her possible, then God could do the impossible that he wants to do through her possible. So God wants to save the world. How does he want to do it? He wants to see his son become human flesh. And in order for that to happen, he needs the cooperation of a human. He needs for a human to work with him and to help him and assist him. Now, although this story is unique, it's a one-off event that will never, ever, ever, ever be repeated again, the principles in this story travel to the 21st century. And, and the principles behind this story remain the same for me and you here in modern Singapore. That actually we still serve the God who can do the impossible. We've been singing about him today. He's the God who can do the impossible. But that God who wants to continue doing the impossible needs people like me and you to cooperate with him and do our possible to cooperate with his impossible. 
And that's an amazing idea. When I woke up in my hotel room this morning, I'm confronted with the absolutely mind-blowing idea that the God who created the universe and sustains it by the word of his power, forgive me now, I hope it doesn't offend you, needs someone like me. Wow. Now there's a sense in which God can do a whole bunch of things without me, but there's another glorious, mysterious sense in which God has decided and chosen to work through the pinnacle of his creation, humanity. And he not, he not only wants to sort of work for us, but he wants to work in us. He wants to work with us and he wants to work through us. And he wants that to be a cooperative partnership. And when we look at this story, we're seeing exactly that. In a, in a profound sort of a, a, a focus, we're seeing the God of the impossible coming to a young woman and asking for her cooperation. Amazing, amazing idea. Uh, and this story teaches us today that actually there are some things that God can do on his own and he will do on his own because he's the God who can do the impossible. There are other things that God is going to do in terms of the impossible, but he's going to do it in cooperation with our possible. And Mary teaches us some dynamic principles here, which are very, very important. In fact, though God wants to give something amazing to Mary, I believe Mary gives some amazing stuff to the Lord here. And I want us to think about three amazing things that Mary gives to the Lord in the context of making our possible partner with his impossible. <clears throat> Here's the first thing. Mary gave her body or she gave what she had. Look at the, the language of verse 34. It says, she says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now there's no ambiguity there. She doesn't mean a young girl. She means he's a sexual virgin. And she realizes the angel is describing something that sounds like a birth process. And Mary says, how's this birth process going to happen? Because I haven't had sex with anybody. And the angel, of course, explains that to her in the most amazing way. And here's one of the dangers of this story. If we're not careful, we can see it as very transactional. God needs something. Mary's got something. And God is asking Mary for that thing. And if we're not careful, we can reduce this amazing, momentous moment down to a transaction where God is simply wanting something from this young girl. Uh, because she has a, forgive me in, in being uh, like this, in saying this, she has a womb that God needs. So she has a womb, God needs a womb, and so God comes to her and asks for her womb. And if we're not careful, we can reduce that down to a purely transactional moment. But it is much, 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 much more dynamic than that. There's a lot more going on that we see here. Because when we look at this moment, there's some reasons why God has to choose this young woman in some ways, because, because he, he wants to do something in his world. He sort of has to pick a woman from the tribe of Judah. So, so Mary is betrothed to Joseph, who's from the tribe of Judah. Now, the reason that's important is because big picture, the Messiah has to come from the tribe of Judah. So that narrows the field a little bit in terms of the women who can help him. The second thing, which is a non-negotiable marker, he needs a sexual virgin. He cannot have his son born of a woman that's already had sexual intercourse with a man. So he needs a woman who is sexually pure. So that narrows the field as well. But, but listen, why Mary? There must have been dozens, maybe hundreds of sexual virgins in the tribe of Judah at that time. 
Why Mary? Well, I think the text gives us some incredible insights. The Lord, when the angel, when he comes to Mary, describes her as favoured of God. In fact, that phrase is used twice. Favoured of God in verse 28, favoured of God in verse 30, and then in between that, the Lord is with you. And something is being suggested here that the Lord is not just attracted to this young woman because she's in the tribe of Judah. And he's not just attracted to her because she's a virgin. He's attracted to her because there's something else going on in this young woman's life. She's favoured and the Lord is with her. Now, this is where her song comes in. When we read her song, in fact, sometimes this song is described as the Magnificat because it is magnificent. It's an amazing piece of theology. And when we hear this song, most Christians just read on, read past this song. But I've done a little bit of work on this song and it really, really is amazing. And sometimes we look at this song and we think it's just a sort of an emotional response of a young woman to this amazing moment. It's like a spontaneous worship moment that's just coming out of her heart. And she just sings this lovely song or confesses it. But closer analysis suggests something else. Now, when you and I, as Christians, look at the Old Testament bit of the Bible, we see it as one big lump. It's a, it's a big tax, we call it the Old Testament. In the world of Mary, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible would have been seen in sort of three parts. There's the Moses part, sometimes called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Then there's the prophets part, which sort of does what it says on the tin. That's got all the prophets in it. And then the writings part, three parts that make up the whole, that flow together. And when I did a little bit of work on Mary's song, here's what I've discovered. That when Mary sings this song, she makes 15 allusions to the Hebrew Bible. This is not just a spontaneous song of a young woman just singing something randomly out of her heart. She has 15 allusions to the Old Testament text. Two allusions are found in the Torah. Six allusions are found in the prophets and seven in the writings. Now, now John, what's your point? The point is this, that, that, that when we look at Mary, we're not just looking at a, a womb. We're looking at a worshiper. This is someone who knows the Lord. This is someone who's walking with the Lord. This is someone who has the Lord at the center of her life and of her heart. This is a young woman who has understood something of the nature and character and glory and power of the God that she serves. She's not just in the line of Judah. She's not just a virgin. She is a worshiper of God. She's following the Lord. She has a heart after Him. And so when she sings this song, it's not a random emotional song. It's a song of truth coming out of a heart that understands who God is. She sings a song that reflects the Tanakh, that reflects the Old Testament, because the truth of that is in her heart. And so the Lord is not just attracted to her because she happens to be in the tribe of Judah. He's not just attracted to her because she happens to be a virgin. All important things. But he's attracted to her because he is in her. She loves him. She serves him. She worships him. And when she sings to him, she reflects a heart of amazing worship. And that's what the Lord's after. Listen to me. The Lord's not just after your womb. He's not just after your stuff. He's not just after your money. He's not just after your gifts. The Lord, more than anything, wants your heart. He wants you. He wants the heart of your life to be absolutely centered on him. And when my heart 
becomes a place where he is at the center. That's where the possible meets the impossible. That's where God can do something truly amazing. Because here's what I've discovered. If he has my heart, he has my womb. If he has my heart, he has my money. If he has my heart, he has my gifts. If he has my heart, he has my desires. If he has my heart, he has everything. And that's what he's looking for. He's not just looking for a womb. He's not just looking for a transaction. He's looking for someone who has a heart after him and someone who has a relationship with him and someone who loves him. He's looking for someone who is a worshiper, not just a womb. This is not a transactional moment, ladies and gentlemen. This is a dynamic relational moment. This is a God coming to a young woman who loves him and worships him and a young woman who he knows will give away her womb. Why? Because she has already given away her heart. And if you give your heart, your womb will follow. If you give your heart, your gifts will follow. If you give your heart, then everything you are and everything you have will follow. God doesn't need my gifts, but he wants my heart. Come on. God doesn't need my womb. He's the creator of the universe. And I use that generically. I don't have a womb. I'm using the example. But he doesn't need what I have, but he wants who I am. That's what he's after. And when he gets our heart, the possible and the impossible collide. Come on, are you with me? Here's the second thing she gave away. She gave away her identity. She gave who she was. Look at verse 38. One of the greatest statements a human ever made in the whole of the Bible. Incredible, incredible statement. And she says this in verse 38, my NIV Bible says this, I am the Lord's servant. Now, I love the NIV Bible and I read it and sort of study off it as, as my devotional text and, and I've always enjoyed it, but this is a terrible translation of this, this phrase. Mary doesn't say, I am the Lord's servant. It's 100%, she doesn't say that. The translators help us to explain what she's saying, but she literally doesn't say that. Here's what she says. Behold, the servant of the Lord. Now listen to that, it's completely different. She says, I am your servant. No, 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 here's what she says. She says to God, behold, look at me, she says, I'm your servant. The servant of the Lord. And that sense of behold is, a, is an echo into the Hebrew Bible. If you've ever read the Hebrew Bible or uh, the scriptures where God comes to a Moses or God comes to Samuel or God comes to a human, often that human responds with the phrase, Hineni. And literally translated, I am here. I'm here. Now, of course, God knows they're there. So what are they saying? They're saying, Lord, I'm available. I'm yours. I'm open. Uh, I, I want to respond to whatever you say. This is the spirit of Mary's response. Mary is not responding in an I am. Mary is responding by saying, behold, the servant of the Lord. And I want you to see something powerful. She sees herself not in her own I am, but she sees herself through how God sees her. So she doesn't say, I am, but rather she says, behold, your servant. Now look how she describes herself. She doesn't describe herself in her own terms. She describes herself through his lens. Behold, your servant. Behold, your servant. She is seeing herself 
through his eyes, not simply through her own lens. And this is easy to miss. And we can rush past this, but this is a powerful idea. Mary is surrendering her identity to the great I am. She literally is allowing her I am to become folded into his I am. And we live in a world today where I am is a dominant idea. I am because I feel, I am because I want, I am because this is what I desire. I am, and, and humans are becoming more and more aggressive in identifying themselves as they see themselves. I am because of how I see myself. And that sounds very plausible, and it sounds very intelligent, and it sounds very amazing, but it is totally unbiblical. And that's the problem. That when as a human I see my arm separate from him, here's the danger, my I am then dictates to his I am. And if I'm not careful, the way I see myself causes me to change the way I see him and then he has to conform to how I see myself. This is who I am, Lord, and therefore uh, you have to see me and accept me as I am. But, but actually in the context of the scriptures, it's the other way around. A human discovers their I amness by surrendering to the I am and realizing we'll only truly discover who we are when we surrender who we are to the I am. Then when we surrender to the I am, we discover our true I am. And humans can look at their I amness through psychology, sociology, biology, sexuality, and every other ology you can think of. But the one ology we must not ignore is theology. We see ourselves through theology. What does that mean? We see ourselves through the eyes of God. I am not who I say I am. I am who He says I am. And that's what Mary's doing. She doesn't say to the Lord, I am. She says, behold, your servant. And what she's saying, whatever I am, whoever I am, whatever my identity is, I am folding that into the I am so that the, the I am can do something through my I am. And when my I am stands separate from his I am, I never fully become the person that the the I am made me to be. Come on, if you want to be everything He designed you to be, then like Mary, we have to have the courage to surrender our I am to Him. Does that make sense? And it's easy to miss that because we just read through it. Mary just says, yes, has the baby and we all move on and live happily ever after. But something powerful is happening here. In surrendering to the purpose of God, she surrenders to the person of God. And if we don't surrender to him, then what he asks of us can never happen. He wants to conform us into his image. And in order for that to happen, I have to surrender my I am to him. When my I am stands alone, I end up conforming him to my image. And there's a lot of that going on. Come on, are you with me? And at the heart of the possible meeting the impossible is my willingness to surrender my I am to the I am. Mary does that. 
And that's a biblical story that continues all the way through the text. That makes sense? Hopefully it does. I, I, I don't know if the band are going to join us, or, sort of bringing this to a close, but let me, let me give you the third thing. She gave her future. She gave where she was going. Look at this. She says this, verse 38. May it be to me as you have said. Ladies and gentlemen, these are amongst the greatest words a human ever spoke. And the minute Mary said, may it be to me as you have said, she gave away her future. Literally gave it away. Whatever her future plans were, they're now changed. Why? Because she says yes to God. Now let's remember what she's saying yes to. She's saying yes to God making her pregnant. Just think about that for a moment. We sort of got used to that after 21 centuries of theology. But just think about that. A teenage girl in a first century world has just said to God, yes. You can have my body. Yes. You can have my I am. And yes, you can have my future. You can have it all. You can have everything. She says, may it be to me as you have said. And what she's saying yes to is absolutely colossal because God is asking her to go somewhere where no human has ever gone before. No one has ever gone this route. There's no page on Google. There's no help from AI. There's nowhere she can go to get some advice on this. This is off the scale. This is off the chart. This is uncharted territory of impossibility. And a teenage girl says, yes. Come on, you're a tough crowd to impress. I thought that was quite impressive. Come on, people. You see, we've got so used to Mary, we've got so used to the story, we've got so used to the pictures and the icon that we've actually forgotten how truly awesome this moment is. This is a girl saying yes to God and saying this in a way that will change her life forever. But not only her life, but ours as well. The fruit that would come out of her womb would do exactly what his mother did. Listen, Mary gave away, she gave away what she had. She gave away who she was and she gave away her future. Here's what Paul says when he writes to the church at Philippi. He says, even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took on human form. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mary gave what she what she had, and her son, Jesus, would do the same. He would literally give himself to the world. Mary gave away her identity. Jesus would literally take on a new identity. He would have a name that he never had before in terms of a human moment. He would become Yeshua, the saviour of the nations of the world. He would literally fold himself into a new identity in God. And Jesus, of course, gave away his future. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mary gave what she had. Jesus gave what he had. Mary gave her identity. Jesus gave his identity. Mary gave her future. Jesus gave her future. And you and I are here today because a teenage girl gave away everything to God because she surrendered, she stepped up to the plate. She said, my life only means something when God is at the center of it, even if what he's asking me to do is truly impossible. And we are only here today because the fruit of her womb gave himself totally and absolutely, surrendered himself to a future in God. And you and I are here today and Bill 
millions like us across the earth today are here because a teenager said yes and because the fruit of her womb said yes and because they said yes, we can say yes. Come on. Why don't you stand with me? Time is gone. We got another service coming. But Mary teaches us today something powerful. The impossible meets the possible when we are prepared to give what we've got. The Lord will never ask you for what you don't have, but He asks you for what you do have. And the number one thing He's after is not your stuff. It's not your womb. Actually, what He's really after is your heart. And if we will surrender our heart to Him in the ordinary routine moments of our lives, the impossible meets the possible. Mary was prepared to surrender her identity, to let go of her own I am, her own claims on her I am, and see herself through the lens of the I am. Behold, the servant of the Lord. Some of you are struggling because your I am is clashing with His. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. Listen to me, someone in this room who's searching for Jesus. If you truly want life, you've got to surrender your I am to the I am. And if you will allow your life to be surrendered to the I am, you will see your I am as you've never seen it before. It will change you forever. Mary, give away her future. Whatever future she had planned, it was now going to look completely different. And yet she said to the Lord, I trust you with my future. I trust you with my tomorrow. I trust you with the details. I trust you with the unexplained and the unexpected. I trust you. And in that moment, the God who can do the impossible made a partnership with the possible and the Messiah was born to save the world. Holy Spirit, may you germinate something in our hearts of the spirit of this story. Lord, may you conceive something in us that would cry out to you. May the depths of our soul cry out to you. Lord, may deep call to deep. Lord, I pray in Jesus' Name, Holy Spirit, would you conceive something in us like that of Mary that would say to you, you can have what I have because you have my heart. That Lord, something that would say to you, Lord, you can have my I am because I will always be a better and bigger and more fulfilled person in your I am than my own I am. Lord, you can have my future because I trust you and you are able to do more than I can ask or imagine. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for everyone in this room. May something of the cry of Mary echo in all our hearts today. May something of that cry touch our ordinary lives today. May something of that cry invade into the depths of our being. May we be able to say this week, behold, your servant, O Lord, and may it be to me as you have said in Jesus' name, amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.